It was the middle of 2020. It appeared that I was thriving. I had the press features, the business accolades, and the lifestyle that everyone claimed would give me peace and joy. So why did part of me want to burn it all down and run away to a tiny house in the middle of the woods? I was trying every therapy modality and spiritual practice I could find to feel more rooted and at ease, and I realized something. My deconstruction was only the beginning. Facing what was left after all the structures I'd built and hid behind to protect myself were stripped away, that was where the work really began. Let's talk about what happens after your awakening, after you decide to live differently, after you decide to walk away, to change it all, and to be the one that breaks the generational cycle. I'm your host, Becca Robinson. Let's gather around the digital fireside of shared experiences as we navigate a renaissance of the heart. Through the transformative act of vulnerability, the alchemy of growth, and the resilience to rise from our own ashes, our next beautiful chapters begin. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, dear friends. How am I finding you today? Happy autumn to all of you beautiful souls listening to my voice right now in the Northern Hemisphere. And happy springtime to you in the Southern Hemisphere. We've all just transitioned through the equinox and I'm feeling the shift in the air, quite literally. And it's bringing me back to life. I joke, although it's not really a joke, that I have reverse seasonal depression because I struggle really hard in my mental health in the summertime, and I'm positively blissful in the late autumn and the winter. I was born and I live in the southeastern United States on land that the Seminole people have stewarded throughout the generations, and that I'm only just beginning to learn how to care for, land that in the summer season gets extremely bright and extremely hot and humid and buggy and generally just completely overstimulating to me. So as we shift into cozier clothes and boots weather, softer version of the sunlight and a little bit of a crispness in the air, I settle into a happiness deep in my bones that can't be denied. All that to say, I'm entering into my favorite half of the year and I couldn't be happier about it. I have been enjoying so much sharing these episodes with you, feeling them out, seeing what resonates, following my curiosity and what conversations want to rise up from the base of my throat, and to be honest, finding my own voice in this new arena, because <laughs> that's what it feels like. So thank you for joining me here. Thank you for the subscriptions, the shares, the comments, and the reviews. I'm glad we're all here together. And while I've got you here, I wanted to talk today about a little something called self-abandonment, otherwise known as people-pleasing, codependency, or as many of us were programmed and grew up believing, being quote-unquote good. Oof. Yes, let's get into it, shall we? If you're wondering if this might affect you, here's a few ways it could show up in day-to-day life. Are you constantly worrying about what other people think about you? Are you chronically overscheduled? 
Are you taking on more and more and more and then feeling burnt out and possibly resentful but never able to express it? Do you feel like there's a weight of expectations and obligations on you that you wish you could just break free and fly far away from? Is the thought of letting someone know that you're angry about any of what I just said impossible to even consider? If you answered yes to any of the above, you may be self-abandoning. Self-abandonment happens when we neglect our own needs, wants, feelings, and values. It can also look like not trusting your instincts or your intuition, people-pleasing, hiding parts of yourself from those close to you, perfectionism, being really critical of yourself while being really understanding of others, suppressing your feelings, codependent relationships where you care more about their happiness than your own, not standing up for yourself or your values, making other people comfortable at your own expense. I know most of us can answer yes, myself included, to at least one, if not most, of those going on in our lives. And I'd like to demystify the term self-abandonment by giving it another name, one you're likely already very familiar with. We're going to call it being the good girl or being the good kid. Does it hit you a little closer to home? Because for many of us, that list of things I just shared was the exact description of goodness we were taught growing up. Children should be seen and not heard. You're fine. Boys don't cry. Stop crying. You're embarrassing me. You're making a scene. Because I said so. Good little girls and boys don't talk like that. Sugar and spice and everything nice. What happened to my good little girl? Good girls don't. Good girl, good boy. You make me so proud. Okay, when we look at it that way, we can see how early the conditioning takes root. And it's well-intentioned a lot of the time. Parents are juggling a lot and their kids shouting out a spicy word in a grocery store line or having a temper tantrum in the middle of church is something they feel compelled to control both internally and from the societal pressures of those all around them. So what do parents do? That's right. They put elves on shelves. (laughs) They threaten to call the North Pole and report this temper tantrum directly to the big bearded man himself. No Christmas presents for you this year if you don't make the nice list. And for a lot of us, this went further. It extended from keeping our food bringers, aka our parents, happy with us, to keeping Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny happy with us, all the way to an all-knowing, all-seeing deity. Now, not only was our stocking full of candy or coal hanging in the balance, but so was our eternal afterlife. It's really no wonder why this programming has been so challenging for us to break free from when we look at it like this. And I'm not saying that it's good or bad. I'm just saying this is how we've grown up being socialized. And I've been guilty of it too. With my firstborn, it was more just for the fun of magic that we did the whole Santa so you better be good narrative. But with my youngest, (laughs) sometimes the looming reminder of the elf on the shelf was the only thing that brought us a moment of reprieve at the end of a long day from the temper and the arguing. 
And I've had to work actively on removing the phrase good girl from my vocabulary with my daughter as I'm raising her because I want to do everything that I can to avoid this programming going any deeper than it already will just because of the world she lives in. When we add patriarchy and religious programming to this concept, it compounds from just instilling fear into us to shame and guilt. Children, especially those socialized in the U.S. as women, are taught that a lot of their emotions are too big and too dramatic and are also less important than their parents, their teachers, their peers, and eventually their spouses. But patriarchy doesn't just hurt the girls. It hurts the boys too. Because self-abandonment can also mean burying a beautifully nuanced and deeply feeling heart under a socially acceptable swaggering bravado. It's a mask. Ask any mother of a young son about their child's tender and sensitive heart. So the children socialized as boys get screwed over in the system too. And we all know the mental health crisis adult men face in needing safe spaces to be able to feel and verbalize and experience their emotions. But this isn't an episode about why patriarchy is a problem. It's an episode on why it feels so hard for us and why it has felt so hard for us to change our behavior once we realize that we want it to change. We can intellectually understand that this is just programming. It was just something taught to us, and yet we've struggled to get out of its grasp. Why is that? To understand it, we need to go back to the beginning. When we were little, we were very dependent on our caregivers, or as my mentor John Connolly Dr. John Connolly calls them, our food bringers. We were so dependent that we learned very early on and very quickly what to do to get responses and reactions out of them that benefited our survival. Crying, for example. And what might hurt those chances of survival, like reactions that upset the food bringers or made them emotionally or physically pull away from us. And this is a standard case scenario here. Because all I'm talking about in this episode is the general experience of growing up in the modern developed world. I'm not even talking about people who didn't have reliable food bringers or whose food bringers were gone or abusive. I'm just talking about standard issue stuff. So if you are conditioned that making your food bringers happy, getting happy attention and affection from them, and getting extra goodness in the form of treats and presents was brought on by performing the actions they defined to you as good, your nervous system pretty quickly linked the idea of being quote-unquote good with survival. Not only that, but it also linked being not good or bad with not just unhappy food bringers, but with the threat of death. Because nervous systems don't really deal with gray areas. You're either safe or you're preventing death. There's not a lot in between for the primitive parts of our mind. In polyvagal theory, these states are called ventral vagal, aka everything is safe, I'm safe, I feel at ease and connected to the greater world around me, (laughs) or sympathetic, which means that we're in danger and we need to either flee or fight. Sympathetic is when the nervous system response comes online, and when the threat becomes so bad that there is no option to flee or fight, we cross over into what's called dorsal vagal, which is full shutdown. Dorsal vagal is the body's way of protecting itself from an experience of trauma that's so intense it can't be escaped from or defended against. 
think disassociation. If you ever get to the point in your fear response that you feel your body get really cold, your mind kind of zone out and everything just gets quieter and still and you feel like you aren't really here in your body anymore, that's likely dorsal vagal. I'm explaining it all because I want you to see how the things that your body does as you're on this reclamation journey, dealing with triggers and healing and relearning how to navigate the world around you, are actually designed to protect you. Your body isn't working against your healing, it's actually trying to help. Sometimes it just does too good a job and gets in our way. Because it's working based on childhood programming of safe and not safe, and we're adults who can understand a bigger picture now. So, we understand now how our sweet, primitive, baby brain nervous system figured this out quickly. But what even is good? You can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes around good. I'm going to say something that may sound completely impossible to you. And I'm going to invite you to shelf your gut reaction to judge everything as either 100% true or 100% false. We're going to look together through a lens of usefulness instead. I'm not saying that this is an absolute universal truth. I'm saying that it's a lens I want us to look through together because it's extremely useful in assisting us to update the information in your nervous system that's been keeping you stuck. And the lens is that good doesn't exist. (laughs) The ideas of being good or bad are part of what is described as moralistic thinking. It's basically just humans inventing a narrative about something and then ascribing a meaning to it. We do this as a species to try to better understand the world around us and our place in it. But moralistic thinking can cause us problems when our own narratives as adults begin to evolve or expand or mature past the ones that were taught to us as children. If your nervous system learned that being good equaled survival and that being good meant completely pushing your own feelings to the back burner to first manage the feelings of everyone else around you, then asserting yourself now as an adult hasn't just been challenging for you, it has felt as scary as life or death sometimes. If your nervous system learned that being quote-unquote bad was having questioned authority, was having thought differently than the grown-up in charge, was having challenged the status quo of the group, then deconstructing your religious or political beliefs, or even just having an opinion on something that's different than your parents, has felt threatening enough to quite literally send you into a panic response. If your nervous system learned that any attention attracted to your body, intended or not, made you a bad person because of it, And badness equaled not only upsetting the food bringers, but also could have meant being kicked out of the community and eternal death and torment, then the experience now of confidently embodying your sexuality and stepping into your power and confidence without shame could have been feeling as terrifying as death. I'm telling you this to help you see that you haven't been dramatic and you're not crazy. And nothing is wrong with you for having struggled with these things. You are growing and healing and expanding. And it makes sense why it's felt like every time you took a tiny step beyond the programming of your childhood, you became so anxious you couldn't even enjoy yourself, let alone go further. Or maybe you haven't even been able to take a single step, even though you want to, but you can't figure out why. 
You want to nerd out on some more science with me? (laughs) Our human bodies won't allocate precious energy, aka calories, resources, to anything that isn't benefiting our survival in some way. Let me explain. If mind thinks something is going to be a risk to survival, your subconscious mind is going to make you feel all sorts of feelings to make you not want to take that action. It's going to allocate energy and resources to prevent you from it. And mind's only way of getting you to do anything in favor of or against is to make you feel something that's uncomfortable in a way that makes you take an action to alleviate the feeling. For example, hunger, eat exhausted, sleep, afraid, run away or fight. Do you see? So if you're choosing to act and think differently than you did growing up as a part of your healing and reclamation journey, you intellectually have understood that this new action is safe and fine, but your primitive childhood programmed subconscious has not yet gotten that memo. So when it sees you start to move towards something that it has previously categorized as a threat to your survival, it's going to do what? That's right. It's going to make you feel ways to prevent you from taking that action. What could those things be? Zoned out, exhausted, overwhelmed, distracted, uncomfortable, scared. You're likely very familiar with this experience. You've just been calling it something else like self-sabotage. All the things you've judged about yourself and have said something was wrong with you because you hadn't yet healed and you didn't feel that you were better enough by now because you felt like you couldn't just take that step or be brave. Your body that you've been thinking is so broken and dysfunctional is actually working exactly, perfectly well and in your benefit. It may be working a little too well. (laughs) The issue arises... When what our nervous system thinks is safe is not what our grown-up, adult, healed, and expanded mind knows is safe. Because remember, these things were programmed into us as children. Our capacity to fully understand was limited. And while these protective mechanisms were so very useful back then to keep us and our caretakers good graces so they'd keep bringing us food and providing us shelter and love, at this point we don't need those things to survive anymore. We can do it on our own but the programs are still running in our mind and they don't realize that yet. And that's exactly what I do in my work. That's what happens in these mimetic modalities like rapid resolution therapy, which is what I'm trained in, or EMDR or or psychedelic assisted therapy or NLP or internal family systems, any subconscious reprogramming and even somatics mixed in with them because that can be powerful too. Anything that gets an update to the oldest parts of our system to let it know that this thing it's really concerned about isn't a threat anymore. Stand down. Thank you for your service, ma'am. We'll take it from here. Why am I sharing all of this with you? Because the first step in all of this is realizing that you are not broken. You are not wrong. You are not missing anything. If you were, You wouldn't be here feeling all of these tough feelings. You'd be shut down and checked out somewhere else. Your body and your mind are working so well. They're just working on an outdated piece of information. And we can get them an updated one and clear the whole thing up. See, that broken piece is not you. It's the thing that was used to control you based on fear. But you aren't that helpless child anymore. And you don't need to be afraid. By understanding how these mechanisms work, we are already undergoing the process of updating that information. We're already doing work to move you through the sticking points. 
Already, you may notice that you're feeling more relaxed in your body. If you think back on something that may have been in the forefront of your mind when we first started talking today, you may notice it's faded. We turn the volume on it down with our conversation so far. It's kind of like how you learn checkers as a kid, and then someone brings out a game board that looks exactly the same as the checkers game board, but they set up chess on it. And now all of a sudden, you've got all these extra moves that you can do, and there's so much more strategy, and the game just got 10 times more exciting and fun to play because we're looking at it through this new framework. That's what we're doing. We're building a new set of rules. We're updating the directions on how to play, and we're making the game of life 10 times more fun. Let's close with a little somatic body scan, shall we? Take a deep breath in through your nose and exhale it slowly through your mouth. Bring your awareness to your body, to your feet, to your legs, to your thighs. Bring it up, up, up to your hips and to your lower stomach and up to your diaphragm and then up to your chest through your heart to your collarbones now to your shoulders all throughout your arms, looping down to your fingertips and bringing it all the way back up to your neck. Feel free to roll your neck or turn it side to side if your body wants that. And now bring your attention now bring your awareness to your jaw. Let any tension there go. And as you do, notice how your lips might actually release as well. Now bring your awareness up to your eyes and to your forehead and to the crown of your head. Imagine now a thin beam of golden white light coming up from the ground, up through the base of your spine, and running all the way up your torso and chest, and up to the top of your head, where the beam of light continues up into the sky above you. Feel your way up and down the beam and notice where there's any tightness in your body. Notice where you feel fidgety. Notice where you're holding a muscle tightly. You don't need to do anything about it right now. Just notice it. And when you do notice it, send it a little pulse of golden white light out from the beam at your center, just like a little sweet nudge of, I see you, I got you. 
keep breathing slowly. And as I'm talking to you, continue to scan your body and send those little supportive pulses out to each part that you find on your scan that doesn't feel at ease. Our nervous system's primary defenses are fight and flight. When a threat is perceived, mind reallocates power or energy and sends it to other parts of your body to serve in fighting or fleeing. This is a very, very old system, primitive, and very, very good at what it does. It's kept humans around this long. When the decision is flight, mind reallocates power to the legs and lower body. Digestion slows. Blood surges to our legs. We have the maximum amount of power at our disposal to sprint. When the decision is fight, mind sends power to the face, to the jaw, to the eyes to narrow our focus keenly in on the threat and to be able to bite it and destroy it. As you do this body scan, take note of any lingering tension in your jaw, in your eyebrows, and let it go. Take note of any in your legs, in your hips, in your lower back and release it as well. Send it a pulse of golden white light and let it go. Hmm. This somatic practice is one you can do whenever you want and it can be so helpful to bring us back into our body and also to help us figure out what feelings we may be feeling because for many of us, we were conditioned to self-abandon, to hide our feelings, to be fine, to be good, to not cause a scene or a fuss or a disturbance, to be quiet, to not be a distraction. And when you live your entire life doing those things as the default to ensure your survival, you may not even realize when you're feeling something like anger or rage or fear or shame. But our body does. And sometimes just the act of paying attention gives us an insight into where we may be reacting, where we may be holding an emotion back, and we can let it go. I hope this perspective is one that is massively useful to you on your own journey. If you need more support, search out a therapist or a practitioner who knows RRT, somatics, or one of the other mimetic modalities because they all work to ease the suffering related to a dysregulated nervous system. And let me know how this episode felt for you. How are you feeling now? <laughs> Did it illuminate anything? Do you feel that giant weight lifted? Did it help you understand yourself or your body in a new way somehow? If you found it useful, please let me know and share it with a friend. You can post it on your social media and tag me at Becca Robinson. Let's spread the word that we no longer have to live in fear and that we are not broken and that there is a path forward to living life freer, more fully, 
and with so much less fear, shame, guilt, and blame. Love you guys. Bye. Oh, I love these conversations so much. Thank you for joining me and us and for being a part of this community. What now? Well, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review so others can find these episodes with more ease. If something particularly resonated with you, I would love to hear what that is. Share your aha moment or your favorite quote, or even just where you are when you're listening on social media and tag me at Becca Robinson so I can see. Another way you can support the show is by subscribing on whatever platform you prefer and sending an episode to a friend who you think might be interested in the conversation. Check the show notes for any links mentioned in the episode. Okay, okay, I hate goodbyes, so I'm just going to leave you all with this. Until what now becomes wow. May your healing journey get brighter and brighter with each step you take. Hope to see you back next time.